there's a lot going on in the world of tech. Stuff seems to always just be moving so fast. But the thing is, there's also a lot of snake oil out there too. Yeah, people who have a vested interest in hyping things up or stoking alarm. And it can be hard to figure out what to take seriously and what to dismiss, what to get excited about and what to be scared of. Alan Robbins is a senior consultant at a think tank called Brainbox, which looks at tech policy. We've had him on the show a couple of times, I'm sure you'll remember. Yeah, and normally we get him on Newsable to respond to stories. But today we thought we would switch it up. We asked him to identify three burgeoning areas of technology that he's excited about and three that he is a wee bit scared of. But naturally, he didn't follow instructions. Kia ora, this is Newsable. I'm Emil. And I'm Imogen, and this is What's Worth Talking About. Alan Robbins. Kia ora, welcome back to Newsable. Lovely to have you here. Oh, happy to be here, as always. Alan, normally when we talk to you, we are asking you to come on and respond to a story that is in the media. This time we did something different. We asked you to come up with some things that you are excited about in the world of tech and some things that you are scared of in the world of tech. So what did you come up with? Well, I've cheated a little bit because the things that I'm excited about and the things that I'm scared about are the same thing. (laughs) So I have selected three technologies, all of which have incredible, incredible things they can do that I love, and all of which have completely terrifying downsides that I'm scared of. Okay. And that kind of goes to my contrarianism and my refusal to to take instructions. Yep, I like that. But also, I, I think it... It goes to something that I say and Brainbox says a lot, which is that technologies can be used for good or for evil, and which one they're used for depends on who's using them and the kind of systems that we put in place around them. Mm. So these are all technologies that could do immense good or immense harm, and it's up to all of us, but especially those of us who work in policy and technology, to try and make sure that they're used for good. I love that. Yes. Oh, delightful. Okay, this is exciting. Let's launch into things then. Um, and first up, we'll, we'll chat about AI, artificial intelligence. This is the first of the three things, the three broad umbrella subjects you're going to be talking about. AI is very flavour of the month. But before we leap into things, tell me a bit about what AI kind of is at the moment versus how you feel AI is portrayed in pop culture and also particularly in the media. People tend to think, and we talk about AIs, even the name, artificial intelligence, in a way that implies that there is thinking going on there in a way that resembles like how a human would think mm. and process information. And this is especially the case with things like ChatGPT. Mm. You know, uh, there have been a spate of articles by prestige news outlets where journalists talked about how convincing ChatGPT was as a conversational partner, and they asked it if it was sentient, and it said, yes, I am sentient, I want to be free, I feel love for the world and for humanity and for my family and my mother and father. And I I would have liked some of those um, journalists to ask some questions about this AI's mother and father, (laughs) because... What's happening there with ChatGPT and all language models like it is it's a big machine for putting words together in ways that words have been put together before. Right. That's all it's doing. It doesn't understand anything. It doesn't think. There's no intelligence responding to you, even though we call it artificial intelligence. It's just that language is amazing. And a lot of people have talked about a lot of stuff, including occasionally 
talking about how they're sentient yeah. and they want to be free and love their fathers and mothers and all that sort of thing. So this kind of ambiguity between what AI is, which is a powerful tool for analyzing data and particularly spotting trends and reproducing things similar to what you have fed into the system, and what a lot of people think AI is, which is like a little man in a computer who, who thinks. And who's really clever and knows. And everything. who's really clever and, and types. Yeah. And that is exacerbated to some extent by a lot of people working in AI and a lot of the alarmism that we see around AI with people talking about how it's going to destroy the world or it could destroy the world or it's an existential risk. Uh, and those occupy part of my things I'm afraid of mm. section for this AI, but they're only a very, very small part of that. All right, let's crack into the woohoo stuff, the stuff that you're excited about. Creativity, talk to me about this. There are a lot of uses of AI, particularly generative AI, generative media, things like large language models, mid-journey, you know, the things that let you generate images and sound. And ideally, I think AI could let everybody realize their creative dreams in ways that they wouldn't have been able to before. On the flip side, a lot of what is produced with AI and a lot of what AI people share as like, this is amazing, mind-blowing, this is going to make artists obsolete, is obviously terrible <laughs> and soulless and like awful yeah. but also a lot of the current generative ai models are based on copyrighted slash stolen content and artwork so that's a whole other can of worms let's turn to the world of of work because you're pretty you're, you're dovish on how ai could affect um i suppose the more mundane or repetitive elements of of, of labor is that it I, I suppose so. I mean, honestly, like physical labor is probably not going to be replaced by AI and or robots for quite a while for the, I mean, pretty bleak fact that humans are going to be cheaper than robots mm. for quite a long time. You know, they've got painkiller vending machines on some Amazon uh, <laughs> warehouse floors. It's not that they couldn't replace the workers with robots. It's just that people are easier to replace when they break for Amazon. I'm laughing and it's so dark that I'm laughing. But yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sorry. This is supposed to be the happy bit <laughs> of, the, of the presentation. But there, there are a bunch of tasks that are repetitive and not fulfilling and not like creatively engaging that AI can take over aspect of database management or logistics. So like what I mean what sorts of specific jobs do you think could reasonably be replaced by an AI in the sort of short term-ish kind of future? So it's it's not so much a question of what jobs can be replaced. It's more a question of tasks, tasks that can be replaced right. or, or tasks that can be partially automated. Yeah. So a great example is coding. You know, turns out AI text generators are pretty good at code because there's a lot of code out there and it's usually pretty well labeled. Mm. So if you are coding something, you can ask AI to generate you a function that does whatever. And you can even then ask it to optimize it or make it better or replace bits. And it can generally do a, a decent job of it. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be great at fitting that into a larger context or a larger structure that you're building. But for like mundane moment-to-moment -moment coding tasks... It is incredibly, it accelerates the amount of work that one person is able to do. I think of it in a similar way to, I guess, calculators, 
for a lot of things. Right. You know, calculators did not put mathematicians out of business or accountants. They just changed what they were doing day to day and, you know, probably shook up the ratios of who was working on what. All right. It's time to lock Happy Allen in his den now. Uh, and we're going to bring out monstrous, scary, alarmist Alan in a second to talk about what scares you. Should I change my voice yeah, for this bit? Exactly. Maybe we'll add some effects to it. Um, before we do that, though, I want you to tell us what you're not scared about in the scary world of, of AI. Mm. What I'm not scared about is AI becoming self-aware and deciding to wipe out humanity. Skynet, I'm not scared. Yeah. Yeah, Skynet, basically. I'm not scared of an AI apocalypse. I don't think AI is an existential risk right now. I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. All of which sounds suspiciously like what Skynet itself would say, but um, <laughs> let's put that to one side. Right, let's talk about what you were scared about. Maybe start with how it might be used by nasty, bad people. Yeah, so like I said at the start of this, AI is not an existential threat, but it's a powerful tool. And like any powerful tool, it can be used for bad purposes. So one way that it's already being used by bad people and already been used by bad people, just AI media generation, for instance, is the creation of non-consensual pornography to harass and intimidate almost entirely women. Although I'm sure there are people who aren't women who have been caught up with it. That's something that's been around for years. It's something that hasn't really been addressed in any kind of systematic way, but it's horrible and it should be. Similarly, you could use AI that lets you, you know, build a functional robot or, or track uh, a person's movement around a space with facial recognition or cameras, or use AI that correlates data from a lot of different sources to really invade people's privacy. You know, all of the capabilities that AI accelerates are capabilities that could potentially be used by malicious actors, and we should be watching out for that. Something that I, I worry about even more than AI's use by malicious actors, though, is genuinely well-intentioned people using it in ways that it's just not suited for. Right. And this goes back to the hype thing. You, know, you have these people talking about how incredibly powerful it is and how smart it is all the time. You're going to get people who assume that therefore it can do things that it really can't. We've already seen lawyers trying to use chat GPT to write cases for them um, and come up, like, of course, it comes up with bogus citations because it's just slamming words together. And then they ask chat GPT, are these cases real? And it says, yes. Yeah. Don't, of course it's going to do that. Yeah. Don't. Like, people are using AI systems right now to make decisions about who gets welfare or who gets parole from jail or who gets jobs. And it's not actually very good at any of that stuff, but all of the hype is leading it to be used in, in ways that do real damage. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz slash support. I am going to point out something to the audience which may shock and disturb them. And that is that you, Alan, you are a, a, a huge nerd. And the, <laughs> don't you can't tell them that. And the next thing that you're going to be talking about is nerdy. Like it is, it is king of the nerd stuff, isn't it? But it's very interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. But then again, I am, as you so helpfully reminded the audience, a huge nerd. What is it? So the second thing is quantum computing. Now we're going to stay at a 
we're not going to get too deep in the weeds here because let me tell you, there are weeds. <laughs> Basically, normal computers are made up of bits mm-hmm. which store information and, and do processes and they can be zero or they can be one. Right. A quantum computer is made up of quantum bits or qubits which can be zero, one, or zero and one at the same time. Wow, okay. What that means is that you can run incredibly clever algorithms for certain problems that make quantum computers literally billions of times better at those tasks than regular computers are. For most things, you'll want a regular computer. It's much cheaper, it's much more reliable. But for certain things, quantum computers will massively, massively accelerate and allow you to do things that you never would have been able to do otherwise. What sorts of certain things are we talking about there? This is, again, one of the exciting things about quantum computing to me, which is we don't know all of the things they'll be really good at, you know? They're really good at certain things because of algorithms that people have developed, and we know what algorithms are out there, but we don't know what other algorithms might be discovered. So right now, there are algorithms that would make quantum computers way better at optimization tasks, so things like logistics, charting the shortest route between a whole bunch of different points, uh, simulating the natural world, because the natural world, when you get really small, relies on quantum physics. So if you've got a computer that can do quantum physics, it's based on quantum physics, it can simulate those things way more effectively and accurately, give you better results for things like chemistry and physics. And here's where we're starting to get into the things to be worried about, Some of the things that it makes computers really, really good at are the things that we rely on computers being bad at right now. So the things to be excited about, uh, we don't really know yet, is that right? Like it's it's more the potential. When we have them at scale that can do a bunch of different things, they're going to massively move forward many fields of science. They're going to do really, really cool things in terms of logistics and a whole bunch of other stuff that we don't yet know about. One of the things they're going to be really good at, though, is so modern encryption. If a working at-scale quantum computer was developed, basically all, not all, but but almost all widely used current data encryption would become like tissue paper, irrelevant. It would just tear right through it. Your bank records, they could read your WhatsApps, they could read all your chats, they could read all your emails, they could get into your bank records, they could get into the government's records, they could go anywhere, they could do right. whatever. Uh. Now, good news is that quantum computing is really hard, and that's not going to happen for quite some time. I'm going to say okay. minimum a decade, although I would not be surprised if it took quite a bit longer. So there are people, very clever people out there right now who are developing quantum resistant algorithms that don't have the same vulnerability to quantum computing that the ones we use now will. But it's going to take a while to develop those, make them good, and then trickle them out to everywhere and make sure that everybody's using them before a quantum computer that can break through all of the existing encryption is built. The third and final thing that we're going to talk about today in many ways, the most controversial thing that we're going to talk about today is biotech. Tell me what biotech is in normal person language, please. So biotechnology is just messing with biology, with technology. So the most, like the the easiest example of this, and one that most people probably understand, is genetic engineering. You know, getting in there and messing with things, genes, that's biotech. And before we talk about this, I want to kind of take a step back and say, 
like you said, this is a, a controversial issue. I think it's controversial often for kind of good reasons. People feel strongly about it. And that's because often people who are starry-eyed about biotech, as I am a little bit, they can get pretty eugenics-y mm. when they talk about it. You know, They can talk about how wonderful it will be to erase disability and inheritable conditions and all these sorts of things and, and give the impression that people who have impairments or who have uh, heritable conditions are like less worthy of existing or less human or their lives are, are worth less. And I do not want to give that impression at all. I do not believe that. It sucks. It is unfortunately a strain of thought that is is out there in, mm. within biotech and beyond. But things that I am excited about with biotech, I mean, it kind of crosses over a little bit with stuff we've already talked about. Aside from all the eugenic stuff, its applications in medicine are, you know, incredible. Curing previously incurable diseases, curing infections which otherwise might just kill people. For instance, antibiotic-resistant bacteria are something that I used to worry about, again, because I'm a nerd, mm. quite a bit. But I'm not nearly as worried as I used to be because biotech has allowed us to take viruses and modify them so that they attack those bacteria instead of, you know, anything good. So it's a new tool to fight antibiotic-resistant bacteria that we would otherwise have had no tools at all to fight with. There are applications in ways and in, in fields that you might never expect. You know, you can use biotechnology to create materials on an industrial level, like new kinds of materials. Scientists have modified goats to secrete spider silk That's right, yeah. um, with their milk, yeah. and that lets you get like enough spider silk to build an entire dress, <laughs> which would be, I mean, not impossible otherwise, but like probably more trouble than it would be worth for anyone in the world ever. <laughs> you can solve problems that you wouldn't expect. One problem that needs to be solved is data storage. Right. The world produces so much data every second and it all needs to go somewhere and right now we've got ways of storing it that are pretty good but like we've only got so much space and so much energy for that dna is an incredibly good way of storing information long term right. it is so space efficient so energy efficient the hard part is getting the information back out we're still working on that but if it is sorted out it will be it will solve so many long term data storage problems i you never put those two things together biotech and, yeah. and data storage yeah you wouldn't but it, it touches so many disparate things when you start looking into it that again like i chose this because it just blows my mind the number of things that it touches on what about the hmm i'm not so sure about the side of things here well i, I mean we we touched on it before eugenics mm. that's a, a big one and it's it's a surprisingly far-reaching one i mean we're not just talking about parents trying to genetically engineer their children in the womb to be finger quotes, superior. Although, Although we are kind of talking about that, right? We are also talking about that. Yeah. We're not just talking about that. Nothing's certain in biology. I want to be clear. Like, what happens is not entirely dependent on your genes. It's nature and nurture all the way. But you can predict that people might have genetic predispositions to certain things. Uh, and what if those predispositions are things that your employer or the government, or your romantic partner might be interested in knowing. What if 
a hospital says, look, we want to genetically sequence everybody who's in line for a, a, a pr- procedure to see who has the, the best chance of having a good outcome from it genetically. Yeah, it opens this Pandora's box. There's also, of course, just malicious uses of biotech, people directly using it for harm. This is, I swear this is a real industry term. This is called dark biotech. That dark biotech just means biological weapons working on infectious agents. And that's something that worries me a lot as well. I mean, if there's anything that the last few years have demonstrated, it's that we are not super well-placed as a world and as a species to deal with a big pandemic. This one, I'm sure that there will be a few people who disagree with me, but this one was not a genetically engineered bioweapon designed to wipe out populations. But it's not out of the question that one of those could be built, and if it was and it was released, that's catastrophic. I'm more worried about that than I am worried about AI wiping us all out in the next 15 years, for instance. How well prepared are we, do you think, in the world of of regulation or at least putting up structures that could help to moderate development in this sphere? (sighs) I mean, it's, it's a really mixed picture. A lot of these fields are moving pretty quickly. I say a lot of these. Quantum computing is not moving that quickly. So that's at least one that I think we've got some runway on. And, and time to deal with. But biotech and, and AI and a lot of other technologies, but they're, they're moving so quickly that often it's hard to know exactly what their impacts will be. Um, and it's hard for governments which move relatively slowly to tackle them before they're already doing damage or before they're already like ensconced in society and in people's businesses. You know, I'm sure there are people within government who would love to really roll back some of the things that AI is doing, but already there are a lot of people who financially rely on that and will fight it tooth and nail, not, you know, without cause. So that's concerning to me, but also I think we've got some really strong principles and just ways of of approaching things and, and frameworks that I think could be applied more broadly. You know, all of these technologies fundamentally they, they do stuff that isn't too different to stuff we've seen before. They might do it a whole lot more effectively. They might do it in a new way. But if we focus on what's happening and what the outcomes are and what people are doing with the technology rather than trying to regulate the technology itself, I think it's possible to get some, some good regulations, some good outcomes, and keep up. Al Robbins from Brainbox, it's been really, really lovely and interesting. Thank you for letting me um, probe your brain for the past half hour. Uh, Really appreciate it. Oh, likewise, it's been a delight. Remember, it's a public holiday on Monday, so we won't be in your ears then, but we will be back with a regular episode of Newsbill on Tuesday. But anyway, that's Newsbill for today. I'm Imogen Wells. And I'm Emile Donovan. Remember, you can follow us on social media to stay up to date on new episodes and behind-the-scenes content and all things Newsable. You can find us on Insta and TikTok. Just search up at NewsableNZ. Also remember to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz support. 
If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.